Hi, I'm Stubaka, and I'm a Gen X grown-up, and I support Gen X grown-up on Patreon, and you should too at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown-up. Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up Podcast listeners to this backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. I'm John. Joining me as always is Mo. Hey, everybody. And of course, George is here. Hey, how's it going, guys? This is a very special backtrack. You may recall that Last year, we were running a fourth quarter, fourth listener drive. The winner of that contest was able to pick their very own topic for a backtrack. The winner of the competition was Stubaka, and Stubaka chose we should talk about the history of Oingo Boingo and subsequently Danny Elfman and his impact on Gen X. That is not a small topic, sir. We're going to be here for like 17 podcasts. It is not a small topic. (laughs) I I still (laughs) want to thank him personally for not picking many, many, many of the other possible topics. More difficult topics. He could have selected. He did. Not. He could have said just painful. number of times that John and George have had to apologize to Mo. Thank God <laughs> he did not choose that topic. Let's not recap that at all. Uh, the good old days. So this entire podcast <laughs> is paying that debt. Stubaka, here we are doing as we promised. Before we get into your topic, though, as always here at the top of the show, I have some fourth listener email that I would like to share with you. The fourth listener this episode comes from John. And by the way, that is John with an H, the very same John who we talk about who's one of our patrons over on Patreon. Thank you, John. The subject of John's email is record clubs. So clearly talking about the <laughs> uh, the record club backtrack we did a few weeks back. And he says, I really enjoyed your podcast on record clubs. I remember my dad trying to explain why Columbia House wasn't a good deal, but I wouldn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> to me, the idea of getting 10 cassettes for a penny was way too good of a deal to pass. Without permission, I sent in my money Ooh. and waited not so patiently. I checked the mailbox every day for weeks. I remember the day they finally came. All right, this is great. (laughs) It didn't go so well. Yeah, you think? I ran out to the mailbox as my dad was backing his car out. (laughs) He swerved to miss me, accidentally ran over our dog, Spider. Oh, no. (laughs) Jesus. Columbia House killed his dog. (laughs) I know. I got blamed, of course. After I got spanked, he called Columbia House and lit into them about signing up a minor (laughs) so the deal was nullified. Oh, wait, what happened to the dog? The dog's dead. He killed it. What do you say he killed it? You run over a dog with a car. That dog's dead. (laughs) Maybe just run over the tail. Hey, I'm looking for it. I'm just going for it. I'm looking on the bright side. That's what happened, okay? Okay. You just keep believing that. The dog's name was Spider. It was already destined. To be killed in some horrific manner to begin with. No, no, no. It's I'm, again. Uh, my head, I have what happened, and I'm not debating that. Okay. Anyway, good. Just wrap yourself in that warm little eye, Mo. That's okay. right. <laughs> John says, I don't know if he sent the tapes back or threw them away. Anyway, thanks for the memories. Forever a fourth <laughs> listener, John with an H. Thanks for reminding oh me, thanks for reminding my me about my spider. dead dog. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Poor John H. I feel horrible now. Oh, I my goodness. Too. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, you, if you sign up as a minor, it, you maybe don't go to the mailbox as your dad's backing out. I mean, try to keep that on the DL there, John. Can you see that on one of the warning labels? You know, like you get the hairdryer, don't throw this into the water tub with you or something like that. You know, right. 
Yeah, what kind of warning label do you have on Columbia House? Be careful, this may kill your dog. <laughs> In extreme circumstances, it may cause dead dog. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, if my you... <laughs> so, I feel like shit. So grateful to you, John. Thank you for writing in. Uh, if you would like to have your email read here on the show, it's simple. Just hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com and you'll be read on a future episode. All right. I hope you're all ready. It's time to jump into Oingo Boingo and Danny Elfman in this backtrack right after this. Danny, nice to have you back. Okay. Happy New Year, did you? That record will be released tomorrow on an unsuspecting world. Actually, I suppose January 2nd, they'll open the stores again. Yeah. How are you feeling? Great, great. Now, has your madness spread across the world now? It is slowly creeping, as if it were a some kind of a bizarre Boingo virus, although we don't really look at it that way. But no, it is creeping, and we just finished a nationwide tour, and we see that little bits of Boingoism is everywhere now, so. Happy New Year, Danny. Happy Gentlemen, New thank you. you very much. Boingo, Boingo, ladies and gentlemen. As I mentioned right at the top of the show, this backtrack topic was selected by Stubaka, who won our fourth quarter fourth listener drive of 2019. He recruited more than a dozen new listeners wow. to the show Woo-hoo. and had them write in giving him mm. credit. So that's why he won. He got to pick this show. Uh, when I wrote Stubaka and told him that he won, he wrote back. And the email read, so I've actually been giving it quite a bit of thought. I would like you to mess with Mo and George a bit, though. Yes, he did. (laughs) Yeah. Tell them I asked for a backtrack on geodesic domes and let them sweat a bit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I did. When we were discussing topics, I said, I heard from Stubaka. He would like geodesic domes. And your response was? Immediately, I said, Mo, I hope you know some shit about this. I don't know nothing. (laughs) The weirdest part is I actually do. (laughs) We could have done a geodesic domes, theoretically. <laughs> I actually do know something about we them. We should have done geodesic domes just to fuck with Stubaka. That's what we Take should that. have done. Take that. <laughs> Maybe we'll do one of those later. Who knows? But he ultimately, he went on to say, what I would really like to hear is the GXG take on a definite Gen X icon, to me anyway, Oingo Boingo slash Danny Elfman. The man is basically my pagan god of music. <laughs> I, it's not a bad musical god to have, really. I mean, considering no, no. how widespread his influences is in pop culture, especially of the Gen X era. I mean, I don't know how you get a bigger influence. I learned right away as we were doing research for this that I am not going to be. I thought I could become a Danny Elfman and Oingo Boingo expert in time for this show. And yeah, I learned nah. <laughs> there's so much to know. Yeah, that could happen. He has been so prolific and touched so many different pieces of pop culture and media. And his story has, has been so interesting and diverse. And his the awards he's won and the impact he's had is enormous. Yeah, he's like on Prince level of musicality. I don't think that's overstretching. Prince, you know, has written like almost every damn number one hit of the 80s and 90s and given them to other people to sing. That's what people don't even realize. Sure. Yeah. Danny Elfman yeah. is the same way. You don't even realize how many times you've heard his music in something you love. And when you find out, yeah, you're going to, I think you're going to be as surprised as we were. I mean, now I know Oingo Boingo and Danny Elfman peripherally. I think we all do. I mean, sure. I wore out a copy of Dead Man's Party cassette in my yeah. pickup when I was in high school. Yeah. You know, I listened to the hell out of that. Uh, we know Weird Science, of course, an amazing mm-hmm. track from that film, of course. Uh, but I, I want to start this backtrack by apologizing to Stubaka, who is the expert for the things we will miss or get oh, yeah. slightly wrong. I have a feeling he'll let us know. He, he, You know, he is such a kind soul. He's not going to bust our chops. He'll probably let us know, but it's all done in appreciation to you. Thank you for your help recruiting during the fourth listener drive. Let's jump into it. Let's start. Let's I think the it. best place to start is where it kind of started for Danny Elfman is the origin of Oingo Boingo. Now we can go back to his birth and whatever. Let's start musically. <laughs> Let's start musically with him. little amoeba. 
<laughs> Originally, there were the dinosaurs, but they became too fat and old, so they died. We could keep going with that, but we won't. We won't. <laughs> so Oingo Boingo, weird name for a band. Uh, and so I learned, and doing research for this, didn't know this, they emerged from a surrealist musical theater troupe. Elfman's brother was actually involved with as well, called yep. the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Yeah, so an even stranger name. Right. Than the one if you we thought, thought Oingo was Boingo was weird. Yeah. <laughs> and so they were a musical theater troupe, so that was, I guess, a, like fire sign theater kind of thing, but more musically oriented, I guess. They were very much known for doing really like avant-garde stuff when they're live on the stage. The, almost like characterizations. They weren't just a band. They were doing like like performance pieces. Sure. Uh, and I, did, I mean, I knew them as Oingo Boingo. What great music. And I'd never seen them live. I didn't know that they had a reputation for doing this. Well, because Elfman has a, a background in theater. He was in theater before he became a full-time musician. So I guess it makes sense that he would, you know, blend those together. I mean, I know that he's done quite a bunch of different characters as part of that. I, you know, you go look at his Wikipedia article and some of the images that are in there are ridiculous. <laughs> so there's one where I guess he performed as Satan and he's got ah. these little horns and this crazy, I know what that's from. Yep. Makeup. Yeah. We'll you know. get to that in just a second. Cause that came from a film that he was in. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> so the band was formed in uh, 1979 was the origin of it. Yep. Is that Oingo Boingo was formed or the Oingo yeah. Boingo? Oingo Boingo. Okay. Well, the Mystic Knights of Oingo Boingo founded in 79. Okay. All right. And it started as a ska and punk influenced band. I learned that they actually changed genres several times throughout their life, which I had no idea again. Yeah. Uh, I would but have they thought did. of them more as in the punk realm. And they kind of evolved into the punk and pop and kind of stuff toward uh, the end yeah. of their alternative. Yeah. yeah. The band was around for 17 years. Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? And evolved quite a bit throughout that time. Like most people, I first became aware of Oingo Boingo when they dropped the Mystic Knights part in the 80s. Now, they started like in Southern California, but quickly they people picked up on them and they were everywhere. Like I said, I had a cassette that I wore out listening to constantly because there were so many good tracks on that, that album. But I, I promised you that I would talk a little bit about Danny Elfman in the Devil Horns. So as he was transitioning- Another from the, very odd title for yeah, a band. I know, right? <laughs> So as they were transitioning from the Mystic Knights of to the just Oingo Boingo thing, Danny and his brother, Richard Elfman, were putting together this, what became a cult film called Forbidden Zone. 40 years old now. It came out in 1980. So I took a look at this movie. Wow. What an acid trip fever dream this thing is. Really? Fever dream. <laughs> well, so the, the concept, I'm, I'm not going to explain the whole movie. We could go down a rabbit hole with this, but essentially the two brothers, the two Elfman brothers and the whole Oingo Boingo musical thing, they said, let's do this weird fever dream kind of film. In this house, there's a door in the basement and you open the door in the basement and it's like these intestines of a demon and you're going down into this underworld. Well, who should what be in charge hell? of the underworld? Well, oh, I think it should be Hervé Villachez from uh, Fantasy, Fantasy Island, Island should be in charge of the underworld. Wait, so he's portraying Satan as Tattoo? No, no, no. Hervé Villachez is in the film. Oh! As the head of this underworld, but Danny Elfman is in the film as actual Satan in this underworld. What, so <laughs> Satan's not in charge of the underworld? It's a it's a long story. Yeah. Okay. You just gotta watch it, man. <laughs> it's, it's shot in black and white. It's a musical. It's got stop motion bits. It's got animation reminiscent of like a Terry Gilliam Monty Python thing in it. Fever, fever dream. But the, the important thing about it is that was the first time that Danny Elfman scored a film because he was in a rock band and his brother was like, I'm doing this thing. You're a musician. Do some music for us. And he's like, all right, I'll do some music. 
And so he got credits for doing the score for Forbidden Zone in 1980. Wow. So his brother wasn't part of the musical troupe then. His brother's no, not a musician. Not as far as I know, anyway. But he was in theater, right? His gotcha. brother was in theater. Okay. Yep. And I actually, in some things I read, it conflicted a bit, but I think that Richard Elfman, his brother, was, was somewhat involved in the Mystic Knights of Oingo Boingo as the theater troupe. And as it transitioned to just a band, he backed out to, for it to do it. It, was it sounds like stuff. maybe he was the backside of the house, like a production designer, maybe, or a director, that kind of could a thing. Could have been. Could have That's been. Yep. what I'm getting from the way you're describing how he, oh, come do this thing for me because you're in music. So it makes it sound like he wasn't in music, but he needed some help because theater has a lot of music in it, I guess. so. Well, I think our supposition is as valid as anyone's. And yeah. <laughs> Stubaka is screaming at his phone right now because right. he's hearing us. Well, <laughs> hey, if, if Danny Elfman wants to write us or call us and you correct the us, record, that's fine. Sure. Well, so totally didn't you okay find out that? something that is kind of related to this that I guess the band or I don't know if it was the musical theater troupe, they did a whole bunch of annual Halloween concerts. They were well known for that. Yeah, so... <laughs> At the time, it probably wasn't obvious, but we'll talk in a bit about the amazing kind of collaboration between Tim Burton and Danny Elfman. Oh, yeah, yeah. But his music has, because of the surrealist aspect of like Forbidden Zone and the kind of quirky sense of humor and mentality that he has, his music has that playful kind of aspect to it. And then he did the Dead Man's Party that's, you know, very much around death or whatever. probably was natural that they became famous for doing regular Halloween concerts. They did them for over a decade, well into the early 90s. So I wonder where they did these concerts. Like, you know, because now you think of Halloween performances, people start seeing, you know, Universal Halloween Horror Nights or something at Disney or something like that. But I'm guessing they just did these things at different venues. and different There were a couple of different primary venues. I didn't jot them down, but yeah, there were places they would regularly. And it became a recurring thing that like, like you didn't miss that. If you were a fan, right? it was like, a, let's, let's go on a cruise with your favorite celebrities. There was a plan. Every year we're going to go back and celebrate Oingo Boingo and Halloween because they're going to do this great concert. Kind of like how you followed Alan Parsons' project around, I guess. There was just... Yeah, you follow him around every time yeah. he's in town. <laughs> every time he's in concert, <laughs> see him again. And so, But the nice thing was that one was on a schedule. You knew every year there was going to be this cool concert right uh, and and like his performance methods are it wasn't just hey let's get on stage and play they put theatrical production stuff into it because that was always kind of like an oingo boingo staple well they certainly had the songs as they developed their career they definitely had the songs to go into that genre i mean dead man's party you talked about that at the beginning i don't know how you get much more halloween than that <laughs> <laughs> great song all dressed up, but I have nowhere to go. <laughs> Let's talk about the down end, the back end of Oingo Boingo. And part of it was caused by, I mean, a band can only be together for so long before you start getting each other's nerves, I guess, yeah. or you've kind of said what you want to say creatively. Sure. But a lot of it had to do with Elfman started getting involved in scoring films. Yeah, in a big way, too. And in the early <laughs> 90s, Oingo Boingo took a hiatus. They actually stopped before me, like, it's too much. I need to take a breather. I'm working on this, you know, the scoring these films. I need to do something else. And we'll talk about what he did in the early 90s in just a minute. But luckily, that wasn't the end of Oingo Boingo. They reunited in 1993 and did a little bit of a, a switcheroo and a changeup on their name. Yeah, that's oh, true. Yes, they just became, dropped the uh, Oingo, just became yeah, Boingo. Just the Boingo. <laughs> <laughs> it was too much to say the whole thing, but I do want to point out something. It takes too much time. <laughs> here's a little thing to think about. So bands lose members all the time, right? You know, this guy, Sometimes, guitarist, yeah, yeah. goes out and this other guy comes in and everything. 
but very rarely do the bands just quit performing because a member leaves. But in this right. case, the band stopped doing whatever it's doing, stopped doing concerts, stopped doing tours, whatever they might have been doing. Because Elfman had because to step away. Because one of the members left, yep. and they didn't start back again until he rejoined the group in some capacity. And I think that speaks to how well they worked together. They must have had a really good relationship in order to, hey, you know, he could have stepped away and they said, oh, great, now we can't do the band. Fuck Danny Elfman. I'm never working mm-hmm. with him again. But no, they right. came back some years later and said, yes, we want to do some more stuff again. You know, like an Eagles kind of a concert tour, but even the Eagles had members that came and went in the band that were hated at the end by some of the founding members. So <laughs> right. I think yeah. that speaks to how well they must have gotten along. I think that's true. I think it also speaks to how pivotal he was to the lifeblood of Oingo Boingo. Sure. Uh, it's almost like, you know, hey, Oingo Boingo is very much all of us together and if you're not here we're not going to do it without you uh, and they, they they did their own things they were all accomplished musicians but you're right they were eager to come back uh, when he's like alright I got my second wind I got a breather let's come back so they did in fact as you said Mo they changed their name to Boingo yeah. and they released a new <laughs> album called Boingo well you know gotta be consistent and, uh, sadly that became the final release of the band the album called Boingo oh really Boingo. no other yep. albums after that did they do that was concerts, the last album I wonder, yep. or, wow that's crazy well a, a little bit so in 95 they announced that they would be disbanding after, I think I said, 17 years. So they set off on a farewell tour. It wasn't just like a, oh, an angry, okay. you know, we're, we're breaking up in a, in a cafe. So they right. went on a farewell tour. They switched their name back to Oingo Boingo to add confusion. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and appropriately enough, they ended the tour with a final Halloween performance at the Universal Amphitheater. Nice. Oh, nice. Okay, that's a nice cap then. It's like putting a bow on. It's like with those TV shows, like we get a chance to write the ending. It's like, you know what? How would you like to wrap it up? Well, the way that people knew us the best at the Halloween concert, and they did. Man, in 17 years, they were together in one form or another. Yeah. Yeah, that's... You don't hear that very often. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you you don't hear from bands that stay together that long, or like you said, break up and... uh, Break up is a wrong term. Take a a break and get back together. And I think a lot of that, as we're going to find, has to do with people want to be in the orbit of Danny Elfman because he is just... It's an unfair amount of talent that this man has. So a chance to work with him by and far outweighs the uh, likelihood of going off on your own and doing your own thing. So good on Oingo Boingo, man. They're in my library and I still, I mean, you mentioned Dead Man's Party. Fantastic. That whole album I listened to, Weird Science, I said. Only a Lad was another great one. Mm -hmm. Uh, All stuff that came out of there. I mean, Gen X staples. That was pop on the radio when we were in like high school and stuff. So phenomenal. And little did you know how much that wasn't it when they wrapped up there was so much more branched out of the film scoring and we're going to get into the most well-known collaboration that elfman had right after this every 500,000 years or so something comes along that's truly original and exciting an evolutionary experience which shouldn't be missed ladies and gentlemen presenting the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. <laughs> Do not miss this rare L.A. appearance of the Oingo Boingo. John, you alluded to it at the end of the last segment. I don't mm-hmm. think that there has been any more successful partnership in director and musical composer than there has been between oh, Tim Burton and Danny <laughs> Elfman. I mean... <laughs> I, John Williams yeah. is arguably one of my favorite film composers of all time. 
Amazing. But Very you prolific. You can't say that he was, I mean, maybe you could say he was Spielberg, but he did so many other people's stuff that it's hard to say he was just Spielberg. When you say Tim Burton and then you mention the you know musical score term, yep. you only think of Danny Elfman. That's it. You don't think of anything else. You know, I always thought it's such an amazing fit. And I give Danny Elfman so much credit for the successful tone of so many of Tim Burton's kind of macabre, mm-hmm. kind of spooky-ish. You got your, like your Edward Scissorhands and Frank and Weenie and Beetle juice and things that have that dark death and morose overtone. But Danny Elfman's music that he scores and almost exclusively for Tim Burton. I mean, you can hear it in other other compositions, but the ones he does for those films, it's a way of somehow in the music, he takes that macabre, dark, you know, thing, and he puts this bouncing, almost clown car rhythm to it and it feels not so dark and yet still spooky. It's hard to explain, but it's genius. Yeah, one of the things I didn't realize is that when he he rarely scored a movie without actually seeing the the proofs, like seeing some of the filming of it. Oh, like the dailies or something. Yeah, he like didn't that? do it just from a script. He did, I mean, there's a couple of cases where he had to, but mostly he sure. he saw the movie and then him and Burton would like look at it together and say, okay, here's a good spot for a song, here's a good spot for music. Oh, okay. Wow. And so that he would actually build it after seeing kind of the the film result that Tim Burton put together. Do you know how many films they did together? In my a mind, I, so when I did research, I'm like, oh, I think I think of seven or eight maybe right. or so. Yeah, that's yeah. what you might guess. 16 films they did Jesus. together. So far. Right, yeah. They're both still making stuff. They're so. still cranking stuff out. Right. So some of the big ones I mentioned, you know, your Beetlejuice, Batman, for heaven's sake. Yeah, that was a 1989 that was Batman a that Tim Burton did. But not all of them are as well known. Some of them are like, oh, yeah, that's a movie. I forgot about Planet of the Apes, the reboot, that 2001 Mark Wahlberg thing. Oh, the the Marky Mark one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Marky Mark one. I don't think of that as a Tim Burton, Danny Elfman film, but it I don't apparently either. was. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's crazy. Remember uh, the big fish? Remember the, the oh yeah, that was yeah. very very fanciful kind of like uh, the guy who was telling lies. His dad was lying, and then they went back and saw the lies. But yeah, that was a Tim Burton wow. production, and also yeah. Danny Elfman. Well, we got to talk about the first one a little bit, don't we? Then I think so. Yeah, I don't think that you can have a discussion of Burton Elfman collaborations without starting at the beginning. And I think it's just really odd that it wasn't just Tim Burton who asked Danny Elfman to score the first right. film that they did together. It was also the star of the film, Paul Rubens, <laughs> right. Pee-wee's Big Adventure from 1985. Both That's of them right. went and essentially almost begged him to do this because he really didn't want to do it. He didn't feel he was competent enough, if you can believe that. Well, and this is still the heyday of Oingo Boingo at the time. Yeah. I was like, dude, I'm busy with my band. <laughs> 85, they were cranking it. They were I mean, very, very popular at the time. It's just amazing to hear that story, considering how prolific he's become as a film composer now. To think that he thought at one point he couldn't do it. And he's done 16 with Burton alone, plus an ungodly amount of films on his own outside of Tim Burton stuff that we'll talk about later. Yeah, but we had to carve out the non-Tim Burton stuff to talk about separately because there's just so much (laughs) that I didn't realize. Yeah, it blew me away. One of my favorites, though, between the collaboration between those guys had to be Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm. Yeah, I was was just about to go there. So if we look at the ones that are like the creepy aspect, which you could argue all of Tim Burton's movies are creepy because he's a creepy guy. Right, yeah. (laughs) I mean, you have like the the ones like it, like the Corpse Bride. 
McBride and, and yeah. Edward Scissorhands and that kind of thing, but Nightmare Before Christmas, yeah. 1993. So first of all, it's important chronologically, this was right in Danny Elfman is getting burned out on Oingo Boingo because of his work in film. Sure. So this was during that break. We remember they came back in 95. So during that, the Oingo Boingo break, uh, he was working really hard. I mean, he, what, by the time we hit uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, he's done six Tim Burton films alone. And that wasn't all he was doing. So he's very busy. Wow, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. That's still, I mean, to, even today, there's, I mean, it's still popular. And not just the fact that he scored it. He is the singing voice of Jack Skellington. Yep. He does other speaking voices in it. And the story that the songs tell, just the lyrics, is not just the music, but the lyrics and the story and everything. Damn. I mean, that's, it's, it's too much talent for one dude. It makes me angry. <laughs> that's just not well, fair. Well, I, I would argue that, I know Tim Burton made the film. I would argue that film doesn't become as successful as it does or become the franchise that it became. Nope. If you don't have Elfman involved. Of course. Yeah. There are other Burton films. It's hard to say this because damn near every Burton film has Danny Elfman involved, but I'm sure there's a Burton film that Danny Elfman wasn't involved, and that's why I can't think of it because Danny Elfman wasn't involved. And that's why you can't <laughs> think of it. Right. I don't think it's exaggeration to say that, look, in this team up, this pair of these guys, Tim Burton, he's creating the skeleton and the bones and the blood and the meat. And then Danny Elfman is breathing life into it. He's mm, making it yeah. alive, making it something that you feel. Now, I don't mean to minimize Tim Burton, genius director, that's fine. But he wouldn't be nearly as big as he is without just the, the energy that Elfman is able to inject. They sync up so well, I guess yeah. is what I'm trying to say. That he has just the right tone of his music. He understands Burton really well. And Burton is, he knows that he can drive a film. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was like, well, this scene's a little weak. Danny will fix it with the music. It's fine. Because <laughs> yeah. he can. I don't like Tim Burton. Like, I've seen a lot of his interviews and read a lot of stuff about him. I don't like the man. I don't think I agree. he's a good guy. I, I would not want to have a beer with Tim Burton. Not interested. But Danny Elfman. I am super appreciative of the fact that he got Danny Elfman into the career that he has now. If it weren't for Tim Burton, Danny Elfman would not be a film scorer. He wouldn't be a film producer, whatever he does, whatever you call it, film composer. Yeah, probably fair. He wouldn't be doing yep. that. And we wouldn't have the monumental classics that we have talked about and are going to keep talking about in the next segment. I mean, Danny Elfman is so damn good. There are film scores that I hear and until somebody proves me wrong, I'll swear that they're <laughs> Danny Elfman film scores just because of how good they sound and how much they sound like his stuff. Have you ever watched the movie Clue? Sure. Oh yeah. That film score to me feels like a Danny Elfman film score. It has a bit of that bombastic kind of bounce, kind yeah, of in a minor key. That feels like his playful, scary, whimsy kind of thing that he does. Yep. I don't know that it is. It's probably not, but... Right. I'm giving it to Danny Elfman just because he's that damn good. You know you're successful when you create a style, style or a right. tone or a caliber that other people mimic because they're like, oh, we need this kind of Elfman-like. Right. Yeah, that's, yes. that's the thing. That's what I'm sure, and I'm sure that actually comes up in conversation. Right. We need this like an Elfman kind of sound, you know? We can't afford him. Right. Who do you got? Right. <laughs> you got? I, tell you, I mean, yeah, I think I can hear like music scores and he definitely has, a, like you said, a style that is, you can pick up on even though it fits the movie. Unmistakable. Because that's the thing is like, you know, a good music score for a movie adds to the movie but doesn't 
draw attention away from it, mm-hmm. which I think his scores do. I mean, it just it just adds to the movie. Yeah, yeah. And we're not going to go through all 16 that he did with Burton, but I mean, there are other ones that you might not think about that you'd said, George, like uh, uh, Mars Attacks. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yep. That was, you know, Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow. Wow. Yeah. Even that crappy Dark Shadows thing with Johnny Depp, oh, the vampire God, thing. Oh, the 2012 remake yes. piece of crap yeah. thing? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. So you don't think about as how, how many there are, but if I scored one movie, I would be riding high for the rest of my life telling people about it. Sure. He scored 16 <laughs> films with just this one director. <laughs> right, that's the thing. Is it's not just... And that's not it. And, you know, the thing I'll note that you talked about how you can tell that style, Mo, is you can hear, I can at least, I expect you can too, I can hear some Oingo Boingo in these Tim Burton films. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because it's he started that well into the beginning of his career, and once you have a style that works, man, ride the horse that you got there on. Well, I mean, that's one of the things I really liked about Oingo Boingo's music, is that all of the songs had like a kind of a playful, mm-hmm. big yep. sound to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they had a horn section for quite yeah, some time. They had a big section, horn exactly. section with the saxes and horns. Yeah. And to me, it's just sound like just fun music. Yeah. You had a feeling that they, the people playing it, the people writing it, were just having just having a lot of fun doing it. Um, I think that came across in the songs. But off-axis fun. Not like straight down the middle, here's bubblegum pop. That's right. But off the center line, so to speak. It's like an out-of-tune calliope. Like, it's yeah. fun and crazy, but it's a little weird, you know? <laughs> I wanted to ask one question of both of you before we okay. move over yeah. to the next segment. So, yep. obviously, we're talking about Danny Elfman in this podcast. The only other composer that I could put in his league is John Williams, as far as films are concerned. Yep. Hmm. Would you say that you prefer John Williams or Danny Elfman music scores? Oh, jeez. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> right? That's a tough one, I, isn't it? You know, so so I, I'm going to start with a cop-out. I'm going with that. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to cop-out too? That's fine. I think that John Williams does a great job of huge, sweeping cinematic scores but where he what he can't do that Elfman does is doing big scores that feel small and personal Mm, okay they're both very amazing producers of scores but while they're on the same caliber they're so different that it's like saying uh, do you like prime rib or you like sirloin better well it depends on what mood I'm in what am I looking to eat you know what am I trying to so they're both like prime cuts but a very very different thing so I if I had to pick one I would I probably have to say Elfman, but that would be discounting so many great things that yeah. Williams has done. Ugh. I agree. I, I I think they're just two different. I can't see necessarily Elfman doing a good score for Schindler's List. <laughs> right, exactly. That doesn't no, work. But John Williams did an amazing <laughs> score for it. Nor should he try. Right, exactly. They're just not the same. <laughs> they're just two just very different styles. And I think they're yeah. both just geniuses in their own right. You know, even like something like Jurassic Park, John Williams and Jurassic Park, that music helped that movie so much. Yeah. I can't really see that being like an Elfman movie. I got to throw this back at you, George. So what about sure. you? Do you, you have a preference between those two? Why, yeah. I maybe you do because you asked. I actually prefer Danny Elfman. I think okay. he could do a John Williams type score. I don't believe John Williams could ever do a Danny Elfman score. That's my, the, the, the that's reverse. the reasoning yeah. behind it. Huh. Uh, the reason why I asked the question though, we're going to get into it in our last segment a little bit when we talk about some of the accomplishments. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. You know where I'm going with this because oh, yeah. <laughs> there is a disparity between these two gentlemen that should not exist. And yeah. after doing some research on it for this podcast, I'm very pissed off at a lot of organizations right now. 
<laughs> yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> we talked about Danny Elfman's work with Tim Burton specifically. I promise that we're going to expand on more of his musical score and work after Oingo Boingo. And we're going to do that right after this. This month's for you. There's no We've talked a lot about that collaboration, right, with Tim Burton and, yeah, Tim and Burton, all the sure. amazing yeah. things that he's done. But again, it, to look at that is like looking at a, a single painting of Da Vinci or something. You know, you got to look at the whole thing. That's just one wing right, of exactly. the Danny Elfman, the entire <laughs> building. Yeah. And so one thing that I was just amazed at was that, you know, he has written like, what is it, 100 film scores? More than 100. Oh, my yeah. God. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. So 16, we said with Burton. And so that means there's another <laughs> 80 plus that he's done elsewhere. Right. Yeah, you think about that. That's like he's done 90% of his work outside of the thing that most people talk about. And the thing is that when we go exactly. through this list, exactly. everyone's going to know like almost everything we're talking about. Right. Sure. You might know every single film, but you might not realize that, that it was a Danny Elfman, Elfman film. film. It's in there. Yeah. And it's not just films too. It's films and television shows and stuff. So I, I thought early on, back when he was again in that heyday of Oingo Boingo, uh, Bachelor Party, the 1984 <laughs> film. Tom Hanks. Sure. He had a song in that, so not the entire production. He had a song called Something Is Right. Also in the early 80s, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That's my favorite one on the list of stuff that we've pulled out from non-Burton work. That Goodbye Goodbye song at the end of Fast Times at Ridgemont right, High. At the very end. That's right. It yeah. makes perfect sense in that film and in that moment. They're doing it over the epilogue where they're telling you what happens to the characters after the movie. Correct. Yeah. And it, and then the very last thing is that Missile Command, the end screen. Yeah. When you get yep. destroyed in Missile Command? Yes. Yeah. Without Goodbye Goodbye, that whole epilogue doesn't work for me. Doesn't feel right. No. Yeah. Doesn't work at all. Whew. Another one from the early 80s, you might not think of Oingo Boingo to be associated with it, was 16 Candles. John Hughes. Really? Had, uh, yeah, there was just one song called Wild Sex in the Working Class. Oh, that's good for that film. <laughs> and those were kind of Oingo Boingo songs. This was not necessarily his scoring, but this is, it's such a blurry merging as you transition from Oingo Boingo into just pure Elfman. Uh, some of these early 80s ones were that. Probably the biggest one, though, that, I mean, we've already talked about is the title track from 85's Weird Science. Oh, <laughs> yes. yeah. Which is a great song. Oh, my God. That is a perfect title track it's for a film. It's fantastic. Oh, my God. There's like the percussion in it. It like, almost sounds like you're banging on pots and pans in places. And like the, the, the change in timber of the voices in it and the sampling. Yeah, oh, Elfman's just, vocals wow. in that are on point. one of the best ones he's ever done as far as a film song. And can we take just a second here to talk about something that I have not specifically addressed and that is uh, probably easily referenced in your mind to think about the, the singing voice of Jack Skellington in The Nightmare Before Christmas. When he wants it, Elfman has the most haunting, like, lullaby voice yeah. 
that just mm. it, it, it matches yeah. his music. It's beautiful and kind of haunting at the same time. And just think of that ooh weird science. It just it's like oh, it's a little scary, but he's right. my friend. Just cheating. It makes me mad. He's so good, and it's <laughs> but well, it exhibits well in weird science. Yeah, and it's funny too because when you hear somebody try to sing that song to remind somebody of the song, you know, like like I just oh, tried do you to remember do. that song. Yeah, <laughs> and it's there's no way you can ever do it justice. So as soon as you hear somebody do it, you cringe a little bit. The only reason why I don't bust your balls in it in this case is because it's for a purpose to help talk about it. <laughs> in this what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right. I wasn't actually trying to do an impression. So, yeah. so you know, <laughs> he's so awesome. God, that song was so great. Sometimes I go back and watch the first few minutes of that film just for that song. For the song. This way, yeah. the story behind that song apparently is that after John Hughes told him that he needed him to write the title song, he basically the song he says was spontaneously written in his head while driving home. While driving home from that meeting. Yeah. I saw something about that. And then he's wow. basically he heard the whole thing in his head and then he ran back home and just basically started putting together a demo. I've got to get this on paper. <laughs> Fucking talented people. I know. It's, just, sucks, it's, just, it's, it's really annoying when you're working hard at it and this comes so easy to them. Well, it probably doesn't. I mean, there's a lot of work, I'm sure, but still, still annoying as hell. So we're starting to push into that area where the amount of work he's doing on musical scores now for soundtracks is starting to put pressure on Oingo Boingo. So this is the late 80s, yeah. early 90s. Yeah. So you've got little films like uh, there's a film called Wisdom, uh, had Demi Moore oh, and Emilio Estevez. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he did that yeah. one. So he did the score for that. <laughs> Uh, in late 86, I'm sure you'll remember this one, Oingo Boingo appeared on screen performing Dead Man's Party in... Oh, oh back, back to, to school. school. Back to Riding school. Dangerfield. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yep. That was one of those cool moments like when uh, Huey Lewis showed up in Back to the Future. I'm like, oh, that's the guy singing the song. He's really mm-hmm. in the movie. Right. And this was really Oingo Boingo on screen performing that song, which I thought was awesome. Well, I thought it was, was hilarious that in was that so part cool. because it was like the fact that he hired Oingo Boingo to play at like a party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. Of course. Why, why would... Yeah, yeah enough he had the money. <laughs> they called him Oingo Boingo. They didn't call him something else. Right, you know, they right. try. Yeah, now flip o you know, right? They Master make him G up. Yeah, exactly. Flip-o. Yeah, yep. nothing like that. They showed respect to the band, and I'm guessing that the people who did back to school, they must have had some fascination or interest in Oingo Boingo at the time to do that. Because I can't imagine. I love Rodney Dangerfield. Oingo Boingo doesn't seem like his style of film. It's, it's not a mashup necessarily. Yeah. No, it isn't. It almost feels like, hey, who's hot in pop music right now? Let's get him in movie. Yeah, right. There's a couple more toward the end of the 80s that I want to touch on that uh, the one, a couple that I didn't realize he did the score for, but now, when, like you said, Jordan, now that you hear it, you're like, oh, I get yeah. it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was an 87 film called Summer School. He did a song in it called oh, Happy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah, that was a little fun little film. Did, you, did either of you guys actually see that? It's where these way overage high school students end up getting stuck in yes. summer school with yep. uh, the guy yep. who ended up on CIS yeah, or yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever the hell that show We're was. We're all trapped like rats or yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was so <laughs> right. funny. Oh my and God. I, I would never have guessed, but Scrooge, the 88 film, the Bill Murray film. You know, I wouldn't either, but that fits. Now it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Huh. So that leads away directly into what, oh. listen, Elfman has said probably the most popular theme song or score of his career, dun, 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 The da, Simpsons da, Theme. Da, 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 da. Wow. 
Wow. Yep. I didn't realize that was his oh, until yeah. we did it for this podcast. Really? really? Oh, I yeah. had no clue. I remember yeah. the Simpsons' first season when I was watching it, and they credit, you know, they credit him at the end. And I'm like, really? Danny Elfman wrote that? <laughs> and then you're, as soon as you're, then you're like, oh, I hear it. Yeah. Yep. I can hear it. In some of the reading that I did, you know, they talked about, so he had the idea for the theme, and he came in and While he, he was had, driving home from the meeting, he had another damn idea. <laughs> yeah, probably. He brought in, he might have been a couple of Oingo Boingo members, I'm not sure, but, but in the meeting, and they came in to like sing the opening of it, and those first three notes, he said they had it. The, the, da, 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 the Simpsons, the opening part there. Right. And then they went into the, the sample thing, but they, they sang that opening live in front of like this pitch meeting, and it was a lock. Talk about everywhere. Everyone has heard that. Who's not seen The Simpsons in any sure. country? I'm not talking about us. <laughs> and who does? Excuse me. I wonder how much exactly royalties he's made off of that. A lot. Oh. I mean, <laughs> well, it's a drop in the bucket compared to everything else he's done. True. But yes, I'm sure he continues. I don't to know that it is. That. that may be his biggest paycheck. When you add it all up, think about longest running paycheck. Longest running sure. TV show, <laughs> a damn TV show every single week that thing gets played, yep. not just in America. And it's syndication everywhere. everywhere. And yep. they don't change that theme song. It's in all of them. Yep. So let's get into the era. So this is really, so if we're, we're drawing parallels now. Oingo Boingo is pretty much on hiatus at this point. We're in the early 90s. There was a little film called Pure Luck that he did in 91. Pure Luck. Pure Luck. I don't know that one. But you'll know this one. All of the Men in Black films. Oh, yeah. He did the theme for that. Including yeah. the shitty one that just came out? Well, his themes. So it's his original themes, and he's done all the Men in Black films up until then. But the first one, where he laid the groundwork, what is the theme song? Right. And I wouldn't criticize the music for the latest crappy Men oh, in no, Black. Oh, no, no, but, no. The music <laughs> yeah. is the only good part in it. We even he's said that when we to work about on it. stuff. <laughs> Tales from the Crypt in 92. The 92 film Tales from the Crypt was there. Oh. Army of Darkness. Yeah, uh, Shrunken Heads in 94. I mean, come on. Wow. No, oh, man. Man. That is pretty much the dividing line. So at this point, uh, we're at 94. 95 is when they got back together briefly. They did their finale. So there's a little gap in his resume. But then, oh, you get into the end of the 90s and the early 2000s, and he's off to the races again. Yeah. So, I mean, we pick up Spy Kids in 2001. Not my favorite film, no, no. but again, decent score. And it has it that. It shows his range. To your credit, you're like, I think he could do a John Williams type score. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel Spy Kids. At, it felt more kind of sweeping, like a Williams thing. So I might be coming around to your way of thinking on that, George. Yeah. A little film called Heartbreakers in 2001. Wow. I had okay. no idea that he did the original theme to the Desperate Housewives. <laughs> I never watched it. Really? So the just... TV show? Wow. I've never watched it, but in 05, but I didn't know he was doing other TV things. The Batman animated series, the 2008, he's done oh, yeah. that. that makes sense. Yes, that definitely that sounds like sense. Him. You can hear yeah, that. that would yeah. okay, but that fits the same kind of morose but playful kind of thing, you know? The, the Batman animation has a little bit of that. Right. Well, I'm Batman, so. I'm Batman. And <laughs> think about it, he did the Batman films with Burton, so yeah. That's of right. course, he's, why not put Elfman he in He has there? a Batman on his resume already. That's right. <laughs> the Batman. Uh, and even recent stuff. It was Screen 2 in 2016 he did. Yeah. A film called When We Rise in 2017. And he's not done. It's not like the man's retired. I mean, he's no, still cranking no. it. Like, here's something he did recently, which I did not realize, so we started doing research on this, is that, you know, with the whole thing with the Justice League movie and Joss Whedon had to take over? Yeah. He huh? also yep. replaced the music and got Danny Elfman yeah. to do the score for mm. it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and it's not just Justice League. American Hustle, Spider-Man, Midnight Run, Dolores <laughs> Claiborne. I mean, you want to start <laughs> right. naming movies. I oh, mean, like, God. we got a hundred of them to go well, through. We said there's we more than a hundred. Yeah, I mean, we've only run through 20 or so, and it's... Yeah, it's you just could. stupid. You know, Danny Elfman, he has a, you know, those master classes they have now? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. He has a master class right. on your first film score. 
<laughs> how to write your first wow. film score. I bet that's that's fascinating. I mean, like, I'm not going to be a film composer. I would like to listen to it just because. Right. Yeah. Just just to <laughs> learn how, the, how his mind works. I just realized that's where I'm looking at some of the list of some of these films are. It's on masterclass.com. From his masterclass? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's telling you his credentials, so you'll know how important he is. And you can oh, do my God. <laughs> Whew. Oh, okay. Huge career. Can we all take it as given that the man has an amazing body of work? Yes. During and after. So he must have won every award out there, right? Well, we can all take it for given. However, some stupid assholes apparently (laughs) don't take it for given. And we're going to talk about that in just a few seconds. All right, talk to us about this video. What do you remember from this video? Uh, Come on, go back there. Misery. No way. Come on. It was it was it miserable shooting? Yeah, and I deserved it years later when I got uh, you know on uh, Beavis and Butthead, you know, because it's the one video that I, that I did that I had nothing to do with. Every video I made, I got involved with. I came up with them and co-directed or whatever. And this one, I was now a film composer and I was on a score and they're doing this video for Weird Science and I said, "Okay, I, I'm busy. Just I'll just show up on the set." And what I end up with <laughs> It is this really, really embarrassing thing. And of course, today, everything follows you forever. And so I'm watching Beavis and Butthead later, and they're watching, and their weird science comes on, and I go, oh, I so deserve this. <laughs> okay, I'm going to reserve my anger for the end of this <laughs> just, segment. Just, just because bottle it up. I'm, we'll pop the cork in a minute. <laughs> I'm really kind of irritated. And it's not like I'm being irritated for the show's sake to, you know, be flamboyant and make the show more interesting. No, I'm really fucking pissed. This is his no one ever accused you of This is his resting face. This <laughs> 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 is my resting pissed off face. This is my resting voice for a podcast. No, so let's start with just some of his unusual personal appearances. Some of them that he did with the original group that he was, you know, that theatrical group that he was part of. And then some other ones that were just him. Believe it or not, one of the first things he ever did on television. surprised me. 1976, The Gong Show. (laughs) The Gong Show. We bring you an act who at first may shock you, but once you get to know them, they'll just boggle your mind. The Mystic Night of the Oingo Boingo. He performed trombone with the Mystic Knights of the Oingo oh, wait, Boingo. Wait, wait. You're telling me that all this talent, and he plays trombone. And he plays trombone. <laughs> just, just, damn it. God dang it. This <laughs> is not fair. And the group won the episode. They scored 24 of out of a possible 30 points. Okay. So he did get some accolades, all right? Yeah, he, he won the gong show. I mean, I don't know. Compared to some of the other stuff he should have won that we're going to talk about, that's a drop in the bucket, but at least one crazy guy who thought he was a CIA spy oh, yeah. gave him an award. Yeah, exactly. So, there well, we but go. that's early career, and he's probably in his early 20s, and yep. it's before Oingo Boingo was big, and you know, I can see just any kind of group looking for any exposure oh, you can absolutely. get. And you know what? If they called and said, hey, Gen X Grown Up, you want to be on the gong show? I'm like, yeah. 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 I mean, sure. it'll be dumb, but people will see us. And so it was smart <laughs> of him to do say, that. Mr. Barris, we'll be there. <laughs> on our way. Uh, 1977, uh, there was a film or TV show. I think it was a TV show. I Never Promised You a Rose Garden. Oh, yeah. I mean, which okay. is the title of a song. But he appeared with the Mystic Knights. They performed as tribal members in a dream sequence in that. That kind of harkens back to their uh, their theatrical roots. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm afraid I've never seen. I'd never promised you a rose garden. Maybe I have to look I've, that up. No, I've heard the I've heard the line in a song, but 
I can't say that I've ever seen right. the, the thing that it is. Anyway, well, uh, I saw Forbidden Zone, and I kind of regret that. So maybe I shouldn't go right. see this ad. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what else? That same year, 1977, Hot Tomorrows. He appeared Ooh. as the singer with the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Bongo, and they performed a song called the St. James Infirmary Blues. <laughs> I don't know what that song is. I haven't heard it, but that title alone makes me want to go see if it's out there on Spotify. Yeah, I gotta go find that sucker now. <laughs> The St. James so in the, the Infirmary Blues. The St. James Blues. Infirmary Blues. I mean, that's just sick. Let me deconstruct that. So I'm in a hospital, so I'm in the infirmary. I'm sad. That makes sense. Okay, yeah, I can see I, it, I guess. I can guarantee you one thing. John Williams isn't doing that shit. I can just tell you that right now. That is <laughs> not a John not. Williams song. So what is this? I see this one on your list from 1981. and Yeah. <laughs> there's a Leaf Garrett film about a foosball player? Yes. Yes. Is that That's the most awesome? 80s thing I have heard today <laughs> he's a foosball player trying to win a tournament so get this he can earn enough money to go join the pro soccer league and play foosball in europe <laughs> so it's called long shot it's called long shot and he appears as a lead singer of oingo boingo so this is after the musical troupe has kind of dropped off this is now yep. just oingo boingo so i imagine that it's kind of a same thing as they did with um back to school you know, where they had the performance of the man playing. It's yep, got to be a scene there. like that. So in he's kind of playing himself in there. Okay. Yeah. And they're credited <laughs> that and everything, but it just, you kid me. I mean, really <laughs> a whole film about a foosball player. I've it's heard just weirder. Awesome. Leaf Garrett. I kind of want to see it now. <laughs> That's crazy. Right? Like totally on John's alley. <laughs> I kind of do too. Are there any puppets in it? Are there any puppets at all? That's <laughs> not that I can see. I mean, Leaf okay. Garrett kind of qualifies as a puppet, <laughs> but <laughs> he has those dead eyes. So maybe. Oh, my goodness. Uh, he did all the way up until the year 2000. You know, you talk, John, that he's not done. Well, he's still appearing oh, yeah. in yeah. stuff. This time in a film called The Gift, he actually played a character named Tommy Lee Ballard. So not he's just actually himself. doing some okay. acting and not just voice work of an animatronic thing like Nightmare Before Christmas. Sure. This is him on screen playing a character. <sighs> all right. So, George, I want you to take a deep breath yeah. here. I know oh, we're going to get yeah. into the, the real, the real thing sticking in your this. craw. Yeah. So yeah. The, the broad strokes here that we can will enumerate, the reality is... Is Danny Elfman has been very much recognized yeah. as being a leader in the Absolutely. industry. Yes. But probably not as successful in the recognition as we might like. Why don't well, you go ahead and kick it off and show us what you mean? Yeah. So let's talk about his total numbers, right? Yep. Of all the major awards shows and segments and things that are out there, this man has been nominated 75 <laughs> times. 75 times. 75. Well, okay. What if you got nominated for an award for three quarters? of the things you did. I mean, that's just <laughs> stupid, crazy amounts of numbers and well-deserved. But appropriate. Yeah. Yep. Now, let's talk about the wins. <laughs> he is only one 35 of those 75 nominations. That is some bullshit. <laughs> Now, well, taken in context, what he was up against that year. if you had 35 major awards, you're doing yeah. okay. Oh, you're doing great. But the man should have like more like 65, you know, I mean, it should be a higher percentage of the nominations. I can't imagine too many times. Oh, just well, it, it sickens it, it, me it to go through what he these was up against that year. Now. So, yo, I mean, I, maybe I don't give a shit oh, what he Come was on, up gotta, against. You look Danny at the whole Elfman. picture here. You can't just pick one. For example, give us a for example. All right. Academy Awards. Okay. Four nominations. Oscars, yeah. Zero fucking wins. No wins. Yeah. Never won an Academy Award. How do you not win an Academy Award for the year that Nightmare? 
Nightmare Before Christmas comes out for film Actually, school. I don't think he's Tell me that. that. I don't think he's even nominated for. What? That no, wasn't what? one of the four no. nominations? Not for Academy Awards. Oh, my. F- he got a global. No, okay, he was, he was nominated for Golden Globes for that. Just one more slight. <laughs> okay, great. You <laughs> talk right. about Golden Speaking Globes. Speaking of Golden Globes. Two nominations, zero fucking wins. And apparently that includes Nightmare Before Christmas. Tell me how that shit works. What the fuck was he up against? It's okay. Deep breaths, George. No. Deep breaths. Deep I see breath. you Just clicking off the things on the Trello card to try and get go to your happy along. place. It's actually worse. I'm not your happy that, George. It's, he actually had three <laughs> Golden Globe nominations. That didn't oh, win. oh, there were more that he didn't win. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> there were three? Yeah. Mo, quit poking the I bear. Mean, quit. There's only two that are listed in Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia's wrong. Well, also Wonderland, Big Fish, and Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm, so I'm so he was a musician. right now. What about the Grammys? <sighs> you would think that would be better. <laughs> However, 11 nominations, one win. That seems unlikely. <laughs> I'm just going from Wikipedia. Would you hear the, the, what he won the Grammy for, of all things? The single Grammy win? What was it? It was for Batman. The soundtrack to Batman? The, the theme. I mean, oh, it, that's the theme. fine, yeah. but I mean, that's Well, and that soundtrack got a lot of recognition because of Prince's song. Yeah. So that makes sense why people like, were thinking about that. Look at all the ones he Like the soundtrack. original Men in Black, Planet of the Apes. Uh, yeah. So many more. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I'm not going to throw Planet of the Apes at anything. It was but... a good score. I'm talking about the music score, right? We're just talking about the music score. I yeah, I don't know. Okay, all right. Emmy Awards, it, the percentages it, it get better. better with Emmy. So I'm awards. guessing Emmy probably stuff. This like Housewives and Simpsons stuff. I'm guessing. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Emmy's done exactly. television. So he's so. got three nominations and two wins. Now, you've listed the Saturn Awards. I'm not even sure what the Saturn Awards are. Yeah, so the Saturn Awards are specifically for fantasy and horror films. So oh, think okay. of the Academy Awards, but about shit we like. It just goes genre, sci-fi-ish. Okay, yeah, cool. exactly. I didn't so know that. So for the Saturn Awards, he's had 12 nominations and six wins. So that's a much more respectable percentage. It feels yeah. fair. That feels yeah. fair. I'd like it to be a little bit more, but that's, that's better. <laughs> right. And then the one that he has totally dominated the BMI film and television awards, 24 nominations, 24 yeah, wins. He, so somebody that one. finally Somebody's got the shit out. right. Mm. Of course, I don't know if that's a, hopefully wow. it's not one of those participation awards kind of thing. Like, Hey, if you're nominated, you win. Uh, yeah, but- <laughs> right. You didn't win the Grammy. You didn't win the Academy. We'll throw you a BMI. Here, here's a BMI. Enjoy it. I don't know. But I mean, there were plenty of other categories, but those were the main ones. Yeah. 75 nominations across. It's like he has all these careers. These are nominations in film, television, music. What mm-hmm. a renaissance man just of every single genre, every single like arena that you could perform in. And he's kicking ass in all yeah. of them. Yeah. <laughs> he's definitely a force. I mean, oh, it's wow. crazy. If there's anything that has music attached to it and they give an award for it, he's been nominated for it. He's been nominated. Damn. <sighs> Stubaka, you have picked a darn good backtrack topic, my friend. Yeah, you're not kidding. <laughs> I had no idea the depth. I mean, I knew I loved Don't Go and Boy right. and I knew I loved Elfman's and I knew work, Elfman but I had did no like a idea. Bunch of movie stuff, right? Right. But of I course. Was like, Wait, how many did you do? <laughs> and I'm guessing fourth listeners that aren't Stubaka probably are learning as much as we did preparing for this show. It ought to give you, if it doesn't, something's wrong with you. You ought to get a new kind of perspective on just uh, what a great a talent, uh, a treasure Danny Elfman and his Oingo Boingo group were. Not just for Gen X. But continuing into today, which is pretty badass, if you ask yeah, me. Yeah, he's not slowing down. That's for no, sure. He's not, and we shouldn't. The only other one that I think he deserves to be on the list of, and I'm shocked that he's not, AFI does their hundred years of blank right, yeah, stuff right, around right. films. So they have yep. one for film scores. He's not on it. Not on what? there yet. Not in the hundred years. Yeah, yeah, he's not in there. He ought, I, I, I bet he will. Oh, be. I'm sure he they will. They have be. 25 of as them as so far back, listed. 
but yep. yeah, he's not one of the ones on there. I, I think just by the breath of work, he has to be at some point. It, yeah, it's, like he's got to make yeah, it. If he doesn't, then that's definitely some BS, man. Shenanigans. Yeah, I call shenanigans right? if he does not. <laughs> <laughs> of course, John Williams in there several times, but you know, whatever. The shenanigans. Double shenanigans. <laughs> it's all political. <laughs> this multi-instrumental, multimedia, multi-madness, nine-piece ensemble absolutely must be seen to be believed. Brace yourselves for an evening of complete musical insanity. St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, midnight at the Fox Venice Theater with the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. If there was anything in this show you'd like to learn more about, the show notes which accompany each episode are full of links to click and explore. Catch up on past episodes and get pinged every time a new one's released by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. And you know, iTunes reviews help more than you know, so if you haven't yet, please rate and review us in the iTunes app. And if you have a friend who isn't yet listening, why not? Tell them about us, they'll thank you later. You're our fourth listener, and we'd love to read your emails right here on the show, so hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com. And finally, Gen X Grown Up is more than just this podcast. Our YouTube channel has hundreds of videos ready for you to enjoy. Plus, you can find our entire body of work on genxgrownup.com. That is going to wrap it up for this backtrack, this very special backtrack, all about uh, Oingo Boingo and Danny Elfman. Thank you, Stubaka, for selecting this. Thank you yes, for being the winner you. of our fourth quarter, fourth list. This listener. is a great topic that I don't think we would have picked on our own. I don't think we would have. And you know, it's a shame. It would have been a, it would have been a travesty if we didn't. This is the first time we've covered <laughs> like a specific musical act or musician. Uh, this might open the door for other things in the future that I think we maybe sure. were underserved by us. And uh, you've opened our eyes, Stupaka. Thank you so much. Uh, and thank you for your recruiting efforts. I hope we have done your topic justice. If we have not, feel free to pretend this never existed. And we apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Before we leave, I always like to take a moment here toward the end of the show to give our extreme gratitude to all the folks who support us financially over on Patreon. And this, again, literally, they take a few bucks out of their wallet every month to help support what we do here on the podcast podcast over on the YouTube channel and on the website. And I am talking about Stian, Gary, Mike, R, Greg Z, Slobo, Chad, Arlem, T2, Levi, Greg L, Stu Monkey, Dan, Ben, Mike C, Mark, Agile, John with an H, Adam, Davis, Tony, Blasted or Stash It, Thomas, Dana, Marcus, Dubaka, and new since we last spoke, Jacob has joined us Ooh, as a patron over John, on Patreon. That whole list. That was good. I, I'm almost, I think I almost, I <laughs> think I made it. it. I think that I made it. Good. Yes. Yeah. Whew. George, if anyone would like to join this roster of amazing human beings, how would they go about doing so? Oh my God. It is so damn complicated. <laughs> Nobody wants to do this, but I'll give it a shot. Here we go. <laughs> give it a try. So <laughs> what they need to do, this is very difficult. They need to go to patreon.com slash up and click a button. Damn it. I know how hard that is. No, no. I, I think, no, I, I think you oversold it. It might be easy. It might, it be, might easy. be easy. Okay. <laughs> it <good>. might be. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Gen X Grown Up. Click a button, pick a level, and enjoy some wonderful content that only goes out to our patrons, to our patrons. over on Patreon.com, including yep. some merchandise, depending upon the levels that you're at, uh, some back stuff, behind the scenes kind of stuff. John just released mm -hmm. a cool little video telling everybody how we're cheating the IRS. I appreciated that very much. <laughs> George, we told about you don't verbalize that on air. <laughs> he put a video out. Are you but, kidding but me? I don't think the IRS is like one of our patrons. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> They'll never know. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself, George. Head over there if you'd like to join them. We sure would appreciate you. And we appreciate all of the patrons, including uh, the new one that just hey, joined welcome, us, Jacob. Jacob. So thanks for that. 
Very cool. All right. We will be back in two weeks with another backtrack. Maybe that one will be geodesic domes. We'll see. Never can tell. <laughs> and next week with a regular episode of the show. Until then, I'm John. Mo, thank you so much for being here. Oh, man. Thanks for having me. George, you know I appreciate you. Yes, sir. Fourth listener, though, we appreciate you most of all. And we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Take care, everybody. Gen X Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. We're also an affiliate of the Geeks Worldwide Radio Network. You can check them out at the GWW.com. We've talked a lot about the Tim Burton cut. Excuse me. I'm sorry again. The same year, 84. Uh, oh, telephone. <laughs> Fucking A. That hasn't happened in like forever. That's been a long time. Yeah. I, I took a phone out of my room. All right, I'm going to go take it out. I'll be right back. Okay. Good. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's going to ditch his phone. <laughs> okay. I'll get some questions on that later, but I just chucked it into the hallway. Oh, okay. They're going to ask, why'd you throw a phone? <laughs> You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.